0: From the MGMA in home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams.
1: The downside of wanting to connect with people is that it can be draining um, and that we are giving and giving and giving of ourselves and we have to remember to refill ourselves. And that's really where resilience comes into play. So there are a, a number of things um, that come into play when we thought think about resilience. Um, in many ways, the sort of lingo or the kind of pop culture around resilience is, oh, you just need to do more yoga, you need to calm down, you need to go for a walk. And while that's important, and that is certainly part of proactive self-care, I think we also have to think more broadly than that, because if we have a really stressful career, a stressful job, um, it's not just about doing yoga if we can't turn off that work at the end
0: of the day that's katie lawrence talking about resilience in the workforce we'll hear more from katie on resilience self-awareness and leading teams through change but first a word from our sponsors innovative therapies are bringing new possibilities and hope for populations with rare neuromuscular disease. However, these important advances come with cost and administrative challenges. Read a new white paper from Sarepta Therapeutics at mgma.com slash Sarepta. This white paper outlines actionable ways organizations can build a business case to gain buy-in for cutting-edge care and optimize access through standard operating procedures that align with payer criteria and national guidelines. To view the paper, visit mgma.com slash As medical practices navigate the seismic changes brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic, they're looking for ways to ensure that the in-person care they deliver is safe for patients and staff. That means limiting contact whenever possible. Pharegia, the nation's best in KLAS patient intake management solution, is leading the charge. To find out how their contactless intake workflows are helping practices eliminate the waiting room, visit pharegia.com MGMA2020. Leaders in healthcare are facing a world that is anything but the status quo. In today's episode, Katie Lawrence, MHA, CMPE, and Director, Ambulatory Optimization and Integration at Prisma Health, examines how leaders can address change in their organizations to become more successful in engaging team members, physicians, and other stakeholders. As Katie says, Leadership Begins with the Self, and she talks about how leaders can identify their reactions to changes and how to authentically accept those reactions while understanding that others may not view the same change in the same way. Katie, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thank you.
0: Now, you're Director, Ambulatory Optimization and Integration at Prisma Health. That's in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Um, Let's get an idea of that practice. First, what is the size and scope of the practice?
1: Sure, so we are, Prisma Health is a clinically integrated uh, full span health system. We have, um, we cover about 50% of the state of South Carolina. And we now have, we were a coming together merger of sorts between Greenville Health System, which was around the Greenville area, and then Palmetto Health, which was around the Columbia, South Carolina area. And we now have roughly 3,000 employed providers, so between our physicians and our advanced practice providers, um, over 300 locations. So we are a pretty wide scope from a medical practice plan, um, one of the largest plans in the Southeast.
0: Okay. Wow. Okay. That, that puts things into perspective. So I can imagine a, a, a practice that size, that scope, that you're wearing a lot of hats there. So I wanted to get an idea then where your primary focus has been um, since we've all been dealing with the crisis of COVID this year, um, where, where your energy, your focus, your leadership, all of those things have been kind of been channeled into.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my role is outside of direct practice operations. So I work on a lot of initiatives and projects that touch many clinical departments. So we are academic health uh, centers in both of our markets. So we have we are arranged by clinical department. But there are, as you can imagine, a lot of things about COVID that touch everyone. Uh, so, for example, in March, we uh, through partnership with our IT uh, workforce were able to lift virtual visits in a matter of less than a week, and so I did a, a whole lot of coordinating with the IT team around the the lift of those and making sure that our providers knew how to use the technology when we had bumps and bruises, as we learned how to all be on the same bandwidth of uh, Wi-Fi and other things, um, since many, many of our providers were working from home or our team members were working from home, um, just working through kind of the, the need of all of our technology to be kind of upgraded in the background, um, hurdles there. And then I also have responsibility for some of the specific teams that have been working on initiatives, for example, returning of COVID test results, so calling patients, reaching out to patients through our portal. And then um, we have screeners who are many um, if not all of our large buildings uh, have a screener at the door and then each of our medical practice sites which may be standalone have primarily been using excuse me uh, folks who were within their practice already but when we had those large medical buildings we had to have sort of a centralization of of that staffing and so working through the hiring process um, in a time when our children were at home in our local county schools and so we had a limited workforce who were handling. Child care issues. So, all of the things that go into a large hiring of a brand new skill set, those are some of the things that my team has been focused on.
0: Wow. Okay. Thanks for sharing that with us. Now, you and I have crossed paths several times over the past two years um, to, you know, touch base with you to help us with some different leadership uh, ideas to share with the MGMA audience and. Most recently, we crossed paths um, at the Medical Practice Excellence Conference. You led a session there. You spoke on leading organizations through change. Um, <laughs> we, you and I were talking offline. There has been a lot of change in 2020. So yeah. <laughs> just to get an idea then from that talk that you had, you, um, you did put that into perspective of, of COVID in 2020. So. What was a major point that you wanted to get across to the audience then regarding changes in organizations and practices?
1: Yeah, I think um, kind of twofold. One is to remember that each and every one of us who are impacted by the change are are humans. And so understanding that different people are going to react and respond differently to a given change, because uh, everybody brings their own filters. Um, they bring their own experience, life experience, their own educational background, their their own, you know, personality to the change. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to remember as leaders that it's important to interact with each individual as they're, you know, meet them where they are in the, the change response process. Are they, resisting and you know feeling negative towards the change or are they fully embracing it and really excited about the change when we talk about virtual visits i had physicians and teams that were on both ends of that spectrum and all areas in between (laughs) Um, and then the other thing i think that's really important to remember is that it's not just a one-time bit of communication and then everything will go well with uh, a change if we think about teaching our children to brush their teeth you have to teach them over and over and over and over again Um, And sometimes it can feel somewhat fatiguing to have to repeat, um, but that's how humans learn is through repetition um, and really creating those pathways in our brain. So continuous conversation, continuous communication, um, and not getting frustrated, or if you do get frustrated, have a safe place to be frustrated away from those that you are trying to message to. um, So have a journal, have an outlet, have a a buddy that you vent to, um, but then to move forward with a a more positive, uh, forward-facing opinion Um, and that's not to say that everything should be you know sunshine and candy um, because it's also important to remember that we're human so to to share to some extent you know frustrations or anxiety about a given change is certainly um, well within what a leader should be doing as they're interacting with their team.
0: Mm -hmm. That's such an interesting way to look at it because again no, no, not breaking news here that this has been a challenging year. It has been a year of change. You, you brought up telehealth as one example, that that was something that had sort of been looming there in the healthcare world forever. And then uh, it, it was something that got a jumpstart uh, due to <laughs> the lockdown. Um, but what I really liked that you said was these changes happen. Um, it's how we filter it, how we address it. so I, I want to look at that that psychological aspect of it. Um, what does uh, what does change reveal to us when when we are faced with incredible challenges in the case of maybe a global pandemic or just the smaller changes of new leadership coming into a practice, and they just have a new way of managing, a new way of organizing the teams, and all those things. All of those are changes. All of those are ways that we receive that information and those challenges, and we can adapt and react in much different ways, as you, you gave the example of telehealth. So what does that reveal to us, and, and how can we work with that?
1: Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, change helps us to see um, what may be an underlying issue or an underlying strength in a new light. So when we have a, a, a large challenge come our way, I think what we saw throughout the healthcare industry, and I know specifically in um, my organization, both the tremendous amount of resiliency, the true patient focus that we had, um, we had folks who were, um, you know, braving a very large unknown in interacting with patients who were um, unfortunately stricken with the the you know the coronavirus, um, and so I think as we we need to celebrate those those strengths. Um, I think also change can reveal to us where we have weaknesses. It very much revealed um, the systemic um, inequality throughout our health system, where we had different populations who were differently impacted by the virus. Where we had our our lower income or our folks of color who um, very much were more negatively impacted than perhaps other um, other demographic populations. So I think it can reveal um, both on a large scale as, as we look across our country and in an industry, um, the, the good and the bad. And then as we look at an individual team, does a change reveal to us our ability to rally and get excited about a change or does it really reveal to us that we have a breakdown in communication and we need to work on maybe our, our psychological safety within our team, or we need to work on communication within our team, or we need to work on, you know, gossip or some other um, negative impacts that may just sort of be floating in the background. But a change can often bring, um, as I said, both the strengths and the weaknesses right to that forefront.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, as I mentioned, you and I have uh, cross paths worked on different uh, educational material several times over the last few years. Um, I'm always gaining new information when, when I hear one of your presentations. You've got new leadership strategies, new tools that people can employ um, in their own work life and their work-life balance, for that matter, as well. So I'm curious, where are you getting this information? Do you have... <laughs> some particular leadership books or certain writings that you you kind of dig into and do the research and then distill that to others what's what's on your bookshelf or or your computer bookmark there that you can share with
1: us <laughs> sure um i try to read a, a large variety so um you know i'm always picking up kind of random things here, there, and everywhere in my book list always uh, is far longer than any amount of books that I will probably <laughs> get done in a, in a single year. Um, but one of my favorites and my go-tos is Brené Brown. I think the work that she does on, on leadership, on vulnerability, on being, um, as she says, awkward, brave, and kind, um, I think is a, a real important um, perspective. So anything I can get my hands on with her from, from reading, to her podcast. She has a, um, a, a standard podcast, um, and I'm going to draw a blank on the name of it. Um, I will think of it in just a moment, but she has a new um, podcast that is, uh, as I am aware, exclusively um, on Spotify, but it's called Dare to Lead. So she's got um, that piece, but then she also has um, one that is more widely available on, on all podcast channels. Um, I also find that so from podcasts, you often learn about other podcasts or from um, social media, I, I love to just scroll through um, and learn connections from her, learn connections from social psychologists, um, and really just watch what they are sharing on, um, often on Instagram, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm certainly active on both of those platforms and really like to interact with folks and, and learn different perspectives. And that's generally where I pick up my podcast list and my book list, um, mm-hmm. because there are uh, <laughs> there's a lot of resources out there for sure.
0: There are. Thanks for sharing those. And for everybody listening, we'll put in uh, website links and podcast links uh, to those uh, Brene Brown um, items um, in our show notes. So you'll be able to find those there. Um, so, in our correspondence, Katie, you wrote to me that leaders in healthcare are facing a world that is anything but the status quo. Um, you go on to say that um, leadership, however, begins with self. Uh, what do you mean by that? Let's, let's break that down a little bit and, and get that sort of interior <laughs> leader there and, and get that defined and get an idea of what that looks like in action.
1: Sure. So I think that some people show up as leaders with a whole lot of blind spots. Um, We find that leaders maybe have risen through the ranks um, and sort of found themselves growing on a career ladder or growing in responsibility almost by accident, um, or because it's the next level up in their career, it's how they get a raise, Um, as opposed to someone who maybe a leader and what I think of as a true leader is the ability to influence others and to move forward a desired change. And recognizing that that doesn't mean that it's a desired good change. Um, we have seen what might be considered a great leader um, from a, an efficacy perspective who did really horrible things, um, but was as far as humanity is concerned. Um, so if we think back in history, there are plenty of examples of tyrants and others um, who were perhaps leaders, but um, in a very different space. Um, or a very different outcome. So I think it's really important that as leaders want to show up as true um, servant leaders, or if leaders are wanting to really serve their teams, that they begin with inner work, because inner work on self is, is where everything begins. It helps us to filter the world. Um, we are each looking at the world through our own experiences, through the eyes of what has encountered our path in the past. Um, We're each looking at the world through things that we have heard, through experiences we've had, through books we've read, through, you know, coursework we've done or whatever. Um, And we bring that to how we show up, whether we show up in a a meeting or whether we show up on, in an email or leading a change or just leading status quo and kind of directing our team. So really we need to know what is going on within ourselves. So what is our emotional health? What is our, um, what are our sort of default thought processes. Do you think about how another person might be perceiving the words that are coming out of your mouth? Or is it just whatever comes out of my mouth is what's coming out of my mouth and let it the chips fall where they may? Um, and those are two very different styles of leadership. So I think really having a, a reflection and an understanding and perhaps even a goal for yourself of how you do want to show up and how open are you to feedback from someone else, which may not always feel so kind, or feedback that maybe is um, delivered by someone who, again, doesn't have any perspective of how to deliver feedback in a way that is constructive. So are you prepared for that candid feedback if you are also wanting to provide that candid feedback? So how can you have that two-way dialogue and um, what are the things that you bring into a conversation? And, mm-hmm. um, what is your emotional intelligence? Most people um, can list their emotions as sad, mad, or glad. Um, most people don't recognize anything beyond those three large buckets. And if we were to Google the word emotion, you would get hundreds of words to describe someone's emotions. Um, But can we really delineate for ourselves? Am I feeling frustrated or am I feeling annoyed? Am I feeling joyful or am I feeling calm? How do we sort of break those pieces down um, and really start to use words? Um, Even if it's words just to ourselves to describe how we're feeling in that moment and knowing that how we feel in any given moment um, impacts the way that we show up. I mean, how many of us have had a really long challenging day and come home and and snap at a child or kick the dog because they happen to be in our path, um, and that's not how any of us want to show up typically. Um, but we know that it happens, and I think that that's um, where we can become more self-aware and how do we process those emotions all the way through to completion so that we don't get stuck in that emotional cycle.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things that can uh, result from having that self-awareness is better resilience. Resilience is something that you've talked about um, in your recent talk at the conference last week. Uh, there was a whole dialogue going on about resilience um, in the in the chat area there. So what does resilience mean to you? And what does resilience uh, mean in that healthcare setting and how it can really provide a great foundation um, for a leader there?
1: Sure. So to me, resilience is the ability to continue to move forward in a healthy way. It um, it means that I can bounce back uh, from a negative situation. It means that I helpfully handle a positive situation. Um, and I think that in such a high emotional state as many of us are in healthcare. Most of us didn't go into healthcare because we just, you know, wanted to, you know, count beans um, or, you know, be, be a number pusher or, you know, set schedules for physicians most of us went into healthcare um, in some capacity to help others and that means there's an emotional connection even from the the purpose with which we started our careers as opposed to someone who maybe doesn't have that same level of purpose if you think of a more entry-level job like bagging groceries or something like that they're they're not emotionally connected to um you know your first job as a 16 year old probably um, but those of us who who are have from the beginning wanted to connect with people The downside of wanting to connect with people is that it can be draining um, and that we are giving and giving and giving of ourselves and we have to remember to refill ourselves. And that's really where resilience comes into play. So there are a a number of things um, that come into play when we thought, think about resilience. Um, In many ways, the sort of lingo or the kind of pop culture around resilience is Mm -hmm. oh you just need to do more yoga you need to calm down you need to go for a walk and while that's important and that is certainly part of proactive self-care I think we also have to think more broadly than that because if we have a really stressful career a stressful job um, it's not just about doing yoga if Mm -hmm. we can't turn off that work at the end of the day um, or and by can't I mean Our work doesn't allow us to because we are a 24-7 functionality. So there is a difference between being able to leave work at work and being um, in a job where work doesn't end at five o'clock. Our work often ends much later into the evening, if at all. And so I think that um, being able to understand and and balance um, both the need to let go of some things and really to have priorities. Um, and sometimes that priority is going to be family, or it's going to be friends, or it's going to be my own, you know, time away from work, and other times that priority is going to be work, and I think having those conscious decisions and really understanding the why behind what you are doing um, and evaluating your, um, the way you are showing up um, to that present moment, so if you are showing up at your child's you know, baseball game, but you are thinking about anything and everything else, then it's really not relaxing. Um, Same thing if you're going for a walk, but you're just replaying um, a conversation that you had with a a team member or with a colleague, um, and it's just eating away at you, that's not particularly relaxing either. We've really got to be able to fulfill the the full emotional cycle and really be able to work that through for us. And that's not to say um, that we shouldn't Um, process our emotions. We absolutely should. We just need to be aware of how much they are taking over our lives. And then on the flip side of our emotional work, just our to-do list. We need to learn to say no. We need to learn to delegate. We need to know what our appropriate priorities are because we can't just take on more and more and more. Um, We all only have those 24 hours in every precious day.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, that was chilling. You given those specific examples about the walk and then re, <laughs> re, reliving the conversations. I feel like you were reading my mind there for a moment. So. <laughs> so let's talk one more question about resilience then. So is it something that people are born with or is it a trait or a skill that can be sharpened? And if so, how do we do that?
1: Yeah, it's definitely something that can be sharpened. I think just like anything else, um, there are probably some people who are born with more of a propensity to be resilient. Others of us have grown up in um, an environment that was more conducive to building resiliency. Um, But I really do think that it's something, no matter how resilient you are now, that you can uh, continue to get better at So I think there are a number of things. Um, One way that you can look at your resiliency is look at all aspects of your wellness. So there are eight aspects of wellness, everything from um, environmental wellness. Is your physical environment that surrounds you stressing you out, or is it a place that calms you down, that makes you feel sort of cozy and like you're at home? Um, your intellectual wellness, your occupational wellness and what you are. Um, are you challenged at work? Or are you not? Are you intentionally, you know, maybe you're in a nine to five job because you need to pay the bills and, um, but you have this side hustle on the side that's really <laughs> your dream and that's what yeah. counterbalances you. Um, and so there are eight different aspects and kind of focusing on those aspects. Um, And all aspects of of kind of wellness in general is one way to start to just realize what has fallen off your plate and which aspects of wellness are you really focusing on and can you build up another area. Um, I think practicing gratitude is a huge um, part of being resilient. Um, so, it's something that from the time they were little, my kids and my husband and I have done around the dinner table. You know, what are you grateful for today? Or, mm-hmm. you know, write down one thing before you go to bed in a journal um, and really understand, you know, that you do have something even on a terrible day that maybe you can smile about. If nothing else, the, the day ended <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and tomorrow's a new one. Um, and so, you know, how can you practice getting that pattern of looking for? the bright side, not to the exclusion of the gray cloud that's also there, but knowing that every, you know, dark cloud does have that silver lining and they kind of go um, hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And so um, really being able to focus on both and um, having that mentality of two things can be true at once um, is a a skill that many of us aren't taught when we're younger. Um, We're taught this or that um, as opposed to two opposing things, which really can be true at once. And I think that's a very, um key skill for someone who is looking to grow their resilience.
0: Yeah, that that is a great philosophy to follow. So we've been focusing on the self. We've been focusing on sort of uh, grabbing the oxygen mask, you know, first for ourselves so we can we can strengthen ourselves, have that resilience, have that self-care. Um so then we have the wherewithal to help the team. So let's talk about the team. We know this has been a tough year. It's been a, a year of crisis, a year of challenges and, and change. So how do you get buy-in from the team? How do you uh, develop some strategies and put those in place to make sure the team is building that resilience, the team is building uh, that, that self-care and that strength? So y'all are all, you know, pulling the rope together there.
1: Yeah, I think it um, it starts long before a change or a crisis or chaos comes into play, and unfortunately, sometimes we find ourselves midway through and and having to back up a little bit. But um, I think that two big things for any team are um, consistent communication and psychological safety. So consistent communication is a, a fair amount easier to understand. Um, I call it the CPR of communication. So um, sometimes our 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 communication needs a little uh, jump start. Um, So C, being candor and really being willing to both show yourself and respect that others are showing you their candid side. So not masking your feelings, but maybe toning them to an appropriate um, level for the conversation at hand. Um, And I kind of mentioned that earlier when I talked about, um, you know, someone who you don't want to talk highly negatively about a change that's coming your way, but it's okay to say, you know, I'm a little trepidatious about what's coming our way. I trust our senior leaders, but I'm also a little fearful and we're going to walk through this together. And I know we can, you know, do this as a team, for example, might be a better way to handle that. Um, As opposed to this is a terrible change. I can't believe they're making us do this, Mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. And, you know, really going down into a deep, dark hole. So being candid and expecting that candid feedback from your team as well. Um, The P is positive intent. Everyone who says anything or does anything um, has, an intent that makes sense for them in that moment. And chances are for most people, it is not to make your life miserable. They are probably feeling fearful, angry, scared, um, challenged, overwhelmed, any number of things. Um, And so they show up in a way that makes sense to them. And so realizing that what we're looking at is another hurt human being or a hurting human being, um, and really trying to meet them where they are and recognizing that it's not about attacking any one individual, so having that positive, recognizing that others have a positive intent as well. Um, and then respect and maintaining that respect. So whether you are having a really positive conversation or whether you are having a disciplinary action where you have to let someone go, um, you can always maintain respect between the two individuals. Um, and even if they are not respecting you, letting them maintain their respect and not um, denigrating them or making them feel um, shame for you know, the situation that they happen to be in. So I think showing that mutual respect. And then the, the second piece of that I mentioned was psychological safety. And so there's a lot of work around um, psychological safety for a team just means that a team member does not feel like they are going to be bullied or put down for sharing and speaking their own opinions or thoughts. And I think that's a critical um, piece of A team in any healthcare setting. So, if we think about someone in an operating room, we want the operating tech to be able to say, Well, time out. I think we need to, you know, review what, you know, body part we're operating on today, or we need to review, you know, what steps we've taken um, because I, or we need to recount the towels or whatever before we close. Um, So, I think there are, it's important for every team member to feel, um, you know, like they are part of the team and that they are not going to. Um, be berated for having a question or a concern. And each of those things, both communication and uh, psychological safety, take time and they, they show up in all the little ways. These aren't things that like, oh, today we're going to be focused on psychological safety. We're going to do a one hour presentation and then we're going to have this psychological safe team for the rest of you know the <laughs> month. That's not really how psychological safety mm-hmm. works. That's not how communication works. Um, it's all those little things um, over the course of time that really add up to um, the health of the team, much like all the little things that you do um, on a daily basis, whether it's what you put in your mouth or whether it's how you move your body, all of that leads to um, you, the overall health of your, your physical self, the same thing with a team. And it means that are there going to be some times when you you know, make a poor decision and have poor communication or Um, you know, do something that really actually wounds the psychological safety of the team, it could happen. Um, And I think being able to move on from those things and recognizing that it is all the little pieces that add up um, and make that whole for the team, that it's not dependent on one either grand positive gesture or one accidental negative thing that happens here.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that we've been doing at MGMA in our educational programs like the event you were at last week is making sure that it's two-way communication. I mean, we've all gone to conferences and, and, and heard amazing speakers where it's all, they're just talking to you and you're absorbing it and you're listening. Um, what we have tried to do though, is to have an interactive element. And we did have that last week during your session Um, we just sent you the transcript so you could see all the questions, (laughs) (laughs) all the comments, all that interaction, because it's it's so helpful to really hear what all those people who are at practices across the country, what they're dealing with, what's top of mind to them. One of the things I copied verbatim, one of the questions that was posed to you there, and I wanted to share it with the audience here, and what this uh, practice administrator said is, what if you have a destructive or, or a disruptive employee or someone who's constantly complaining because you're you're out there doing all that work to build morale, get buy-in, but what if you have that one person there who's constantly complaining? How do you handle that? What can you do so it doesn't become a huge distraction to the entire team? Yeah,
1: so I think there's a, a number of things um, obviously, or one of my first um, comments would be that you want to make sure that you are having any conversations with that disruptive employee away from everyone else. Um, That, first of all, maintains their respect. And the other thing is that sometimes disruptive employees are trying to gain attention. And so by taking the attention off of them in the group setting and moving the corrective attention Uh, to a smaller setting where it's just you and that employee, I think, um, takes the spotlight off of them and it lets them know that you are not going to um, buy into their their sort of pouring gas on the fire. Um, They're they're not going to be able to shift you from your positive intent with the the rest of the group. So I think that it's important to have those constructive conversations as individual conversations. It's important to set key guidelines um, and real specific Behavior. So if you are seeing behaviors that are not appropriate, put those in writing, grab them, um, you know, in a way that you can not just say you are behaving badly or I don't approve of how you are behaving, but real specifics so that they are things that you can then benchmark um, that employee with going forward, because there are certain behaviors that we just can't tolerate in a team that are just going to be um, disruptive of the psychological safety. So every team member contributes to the the formation of psychological safety within a team. Um, And so if everyone is afraid of that team member or doesn't want to Um, be around that team member their energy is just dragging down the team, that's disruptive um, to the entire team, no matter how positive the rest of the team may be. And ultimately, unfortunately, there are some team members who are just not going to be a good fit. So I think it's important to continuously document um, and to have a specific disciplinary process or a corrective action process. And if that team member simply can't live up to the standards of your office, then, then they do need to find a, a better place to be. And again, that's not um, to take away the respect that you have for that team member. Um, it could be someone as highly ranking as you know, a, an important physician in the group. It may be a nurse, it may be the front desk person who's been there for 30 years. Um, ultimately, what we have to decide as leaders of our teams is what is the appropriate behavior? What are the standards for our team? And those standards can change over time. Um, Perhaps now you need someone who is going to be tech savvy and who can not only um, run a vi- video visit, but can also explain to a patient how to run their side of a video visit while they're just on the phone. That's a different skill set that probably a year ago you didn't need in your office. But now we have new skill sets and we may have new asks of our team members. The more consumer centric and um, front facing to our patients we become, the more we need to be polished in our customer service um, if we wanna be competitive and if we want to um, be that place that patients choose to come to. So um, ultimately we need to make sure that um, our team meets all standards and that doesn't just mean that their clinical license is up to date um, or that they can you know, answer the phone and say hello. Uh, it also means the way that they carry out their, their interaction with others, whether that's other team members, whether that's other physicians, whether that's patients, Um, that you have pretty clear documentation on what you do expect and and what's not acceptable for your team.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, one last topic I wanted to cover here is in your recent talk, you discussed the importance of celebrating small wins. Um, Talk about that. Talk about what it means to the morale of the team to get that buy-in by celebrating those small wins.
1: Yeah, I think small wins are so important. I think um, so much of life is a marathon, and we forget that even, you know, taking the first step can be a huge thing for the first, um, you know, for folks who have never set foot down that path. Um, and I also see a, an unfortunate habit in healthcare where we're continuously moving that finish line, where we initially set a goal and we, we get pretty close to it, and then we realize that, you know what, others are, are surpassing us, so we're just going to move that benchmark without ever celebrating that we made a big Uh, step forward. Um, So maybe it was the first week of COVID, you got through COVID, and, you know, you contacted all of your patients, or maybe it was that, you know, you had your first video visit, or perhaps you had, you know, your first staff meeting via Teams, um, or whatever it is. I mean, I think celebrating even those small wins is really, really important to morale. The way that our brains work is um, based on reward learning. So our brains will not buy into a large goal unless they can see us moving towards that goal little by little. Um, So if all we ever say is, you know, this huge hurdle has to be met before I am worthy, um, then that can feel defeating because I can, it's so far down the road that I just can't see myself achieving it. Whereas if I know that I got through my first day of, on a new EMR and, you know, I, I I finished and it's five o'clock and, you know, whatever. um, That's something worthy of being celebrated. Um, Or, you know, we put into place a new policy or we're, you know, we had our kickoff meeting for a new initiative, whatever it might be. Um, I think that celebrating those small wins. um, And again, this doesn't have to go to such an extreme that it feels like the kindergarten soccer team that, you know, everything you do, you get a medal for. Um, (laughs) But I do think that, um, that it's really important to, to identify those goals, to celebrate progress towards those goals, and um, and certainly to celebrate in a bigger way before you move the the finish line, before you set that next benchmark.
0: Okay. So, final thought. Then, um, I want to end on the subject of work life balance. You've touched on this a little bit with some different ideas, but. I want to go into more detail then what are some things you've been doing this year to maintain a work-life balance to just maintain you know a lower stress level and just be able to celebrate life a little bit and enjoy life
1: yeah so for me it's about identifying priorities and being intentional with my time so as we have gone to more and more remote meetings, and I saw this in several comments on the chat in uh, both my session and other folks' sessions um, at the Excellence uh, Conference last week, but we, um, we can tend to have our days stretch longer and longer and longer uh, when we're not physically going to a building or when others are not physically going to a mm-hmm. building. And, and so I think making sure that we are intentional about our own boundaries, And maybe that means that, yeah, my day might go till 7 p.m., but tomorrow morning I might decide to come in late and do a little bit more um, one-on-one attention with a child who is doing school from home. Or maybe um, I'm going to take an intentional break just after lunchtime, um, because lunchtime might be a big time for meetings with catching physicians without patients, but then maybe early afternoon afternoon. I go for a long walk and um, and that sort of thing. Or maybe I'm um, podcasts have become my thing over the last two years. So mm-hmm. I enjoy um, feeding my brain um, whenever I am you know in transit. Um, so put, turning on a podcast that I can listen to in the car, um, maintaining that intentionality and making sure that I am um, planning my day. Um, knowing that there are going to be fires and hurdles and some days aren't going to end on the same time as um, as I would like them to, but also knowing that I have been intentional with my family, with my own self-care, with, you know, eating right and moving my body and feeding my brain and all those other things that are so important um, that can fall to the wayside. And I think one tip that I learned that I, uh, from a recent podcast is that... Um, that your body, when it is under stress, is actually getting more and more dehydrated without us even knowing it. Um, and in particular, our brains get dehydrated. So make sure you're drinking lots of water. Um, I am not in the best of habits of getting lots of water into my body. So that has become a new intentional habit for me um, and making sure that I'm getting plenty of water in a given day. So.
0: All right. Well, Katie, that is great advice. And thanks so much for sharing all of these insights with us today and look forward to catching up with you again soon.
1: Thanks so much. I really enjoyed being
0: here. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Katie Lawrence, and thanks to Sarepta and to Farisia for sponsoring this week's show. Read a new white paper from Sarepta Therapeutics at mgma.com slash Sarepta. And to find out how Farisia's contactless intake workflows or helping practices eliminate the waiting room visit pharesia.com slash MGMA2020 If you like the show please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview email us at podcast MGMA.com or find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening.